بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا انك انت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير امين يا رب العالمين respected listeners dear beloved brothers and sisters assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we thank allah azza wa jalla immensely for giving you and i the opportunity to sit with the quran today in our weekly tafsir Alhamdulillah for allowing us to gather again. Last week you were blessed to have Mawlana Yusuf Ghoth, who Alhamdulillah beautifully covered uh, uh, an entire Rukur. And so we'll be carrying on from where he left off, from verse ayah number 60 onwards. 60. And this is the third of the four stories of Surah Al-Kahf, the story, the story of Musa and Khadr, alayhi salam. Um, a reminder to myself and all of us that we renew our niyyah while we're sitting here. We're here to please Allah. We're here to use this uh, opportunity to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are here to build our personal relationship with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're here to get our questions answered, our needs fulfilled of both this world and the next. This is the house of Allah. Durus of ilm, durus of dhikr are the places where things happen. Right? This, is these, this is the place where a person fixes his issues and problems. If we have problems and we're looking elsewhere, is, uh, is like the one who lost his camel. And he was looking for it, apparently. Then after some time, a pers- you know, the person inside the house heard a noise on the top of the roof. And he went to go see what's, who's on the roof. And he went to the roof and he saw the same person there. He said, what are you doing up on my roof? He said, I'm looking for my camel. How are you going to be finding a camel on the roof? That's the wrong place you're looking for. So we are, unfortunately the ummah today is going through so many problems. But the solution is in the house of Allah. We're looking for the solution everywhere but in the house of Allah. Hence you're not going to find it. Where the answers are, we're not looking. And where the answers are not, we're, we're sitting there sifting through page after page, page after page, knocking on this door, calling on this one. And we seem deject, dejected, rejected, and can't find what we're looking for. Because we're looking in the wrong place. The solution to every single problem, my beloved brothers and sisters, is the house of Allah and it's a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes people, they don't like this answer I give, you know, which is the reality. But I want a solution to my problems. The first step is by man aslaha ma baynahu wa ma bayna Allah, aslaha Allah ma baynahu wa bayna nas wa ma bayna nas. Whoever rectifies his relationship between himself and Allah, Allah will rectify his relationship between himself and, and all humans and all others. This is the reality. Now you have a problem with a family member, you have a problem with a spouse or children or parents, and the answer is, what is the condition of my salah? What is the condition of nawafil? What is the condition of faraib? What is the condition of wudu? What is the condition of us leaving haram? What is the condition of us neglecting faraib? If we have fail, 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 fail for all of this, what do you expect but to have a horrible relationship at home with mom and dad, with spouse, with children? Uh, business falling apart, education falling apart. All these problems are, are what symptoms of a central problem which is a ruined, fractured relationship with Allah. This is something we all have to agree upon. This is basic 101, Islam 101. But people don't like this answer. 
People want to need kuch or we want some other nuskha, we want some wazifa, we want some other quick fix. There's no quick fix to it. It can be quick, but you, the proper is you have to fix your relationship with Allah. Once that comes in, when a'mal come in, when fara'if come in, when haram comes out, when dua comes in, there you go. Your problems will get solved. So let's remind ourselves that the solution to everyone's issues is in building our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whoever you see is depressed, worried, stressed out about their issues, remind yourself and remind them that these, the answer to your issue is only in the hands of Allah. If you run around the world looking for answers everywhere, but coming towards Allah, you will not find the answer. It's not going to happen in a million years. So let's renew our niyyah Why we're here. We're here to find the key to our locked doors. And one of the, one of the beautiful du'as I love, Allah maftah aqfala qulubina bi dhikrik. Oh Allah, open up the locks on my heart through your remembrance. Dhikr of Allah is the key to open up the locks on our heart. When a person feels like, I'm not getting anywhere. It's a, it's a, it looks like a slate of iron is on my heart. Nothing penetrates my heart. I feel, I feel like I don't fear God. I don't fear death. I've heard people tell me this. I don't fear God. I don't fear death. I don't fear anyone. What should I do? This darkened, blackened heart feels locked. Well, the solution goes back to dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may say, I don't feel anything happens when, I, when I'm doing la ilaha illallah. I don't feel it. Don't worry about feeling it, not feeling it. Every single time when you take a, a medication, we love to take medicines, right? When you take medicine, we take vaccines. What happens? Do you all of a sudden feel something? No. It takes some you know, antibiotic. It takes hours to act. Any, any type of medication you take, it takes hours to act. So why, we cannot expect immediately something's going to happen. It is working, but it takes time. So when a person says, I attend, I attend the dhikr of Allah, it's like a gathering of the dhikr of Allah. I, took, I said, la ilaha illallah a hundred times. I prayed salat al-isha in the masjid. I attended dars of tafsir. I don't feel completely changed. By the way, alhamdulillah, I know very for sure you do feel change. But someone, shaitan may try to play even more tricks with him. To say, no, you're not changing. So what's the point of coming? What's the point of praying? What's the point? It's all fake. You're faking everyone. You're, you, you, know, you are manipulating everyone. What is the point of all of this? Because alhamdulillah, you're achieving something. He doesn't like the fact that you're achieving even that. So he creates doubt, despondency. Huh? This doubt and despondency within a person. And says, stay away from this. My beloved brothers and sisters, don't fall for that. You are gaining something. Just You are gaining, you might not realize it. You are gaining tremendous things. But it takes time. It takes time. You remember one time we spoke about this before? That we do not do ibadah for enjoyment. We don't do ibadah for kefiyat. You know kefiyat? What are you going to say? Like emotional, extraordinary feelings. You know, we don't do ibadah to get a high. They say get a spiritual high. See, that's not what our, the purpose of our ibadah is. This is not a drug that we get a spiritual high from. Nee. This is important. So you might say, you know, get a mazani I'm not enjoying it. I'm not feeling it. We don't do ibadah to feel. We don't do worship Allah to feel things. Your heart is feeling it. Trust me, your heart is feeling it. You might, it just takes time because the gunk, there's so many layers of gunk. By the time you actually remove all of it, it may take four or five you know, gatherings, four or five majlises. But the key thing is istiqama, steadfastness. You know when you have a big snowstorm, you hit it with a shovel, one round is done. You know? Second round, third round, by the third time, third, then you gotta put the salt. If you do one round, you say, I'm tired, and you go back into the house. You come back and it's still snowing. You're back to where you were, even maybe worse. 
if you didn't clean it up in the first round, you didn't salt it properly, now what's gonna happen? With the second snowfall, it will get even harder. And it will get even more challenging to remove. The smartest thing is you hit it as soon as it snows, you clean it right then and there. And you put that salt, that's your tawbah and istighfar. And if we don't, or we leave it, we leave it halfway, it's only gonna get worse. But do not expect solutions within the first try is what I'm trying to say. So istiqamah. Please, this is one weekly gathering you attend, don't give up. No matter what happens. No matter what happens, no matter how busy of a schedule you have, no matter how tired you are, I request you that this istiqamah on this gathering inshaAllah will help all of us tremendously. Right? Do not let excuses come in between you and that and attending. And alhamdulillah, those who have been attending with istiqamah, they, will t- they themselves are a witness to what they, the transformation that is taking place within themselves. But you come once and d- disappear next four weeks, then yeah, you have a right to say, I don't feel a difference. Because you've did, you did this to yourself. By not showing up consistently, the one benefit that you got also gets erased. Because the world is like that. Mawlana spoke so eloquently after Maghrib, after Isha right now. It really hit the heart, what he said is the environment outside is so horrible and everyone knows it, then why aren't our masajids filled up? We keep on talking about mahol kharabe, mahol kharabe, school district, this one, that one, LGBTQ, fulan, fulan, fulan. Everyone's speaking about this. But speaking about it is not the solution. Why are you all not in the masjid? This is where, why are not our Islamic school filled up, our Sunday school filled up, after evening, maktab filled up. That's, that's the aji part. That our numbers have just dwindled in all of those departments compared to what it was before. So it's ajeeb. One side we're saying the world is falling apart spiritually, and then the solution no one wants, or very few number of people want. So then let's acknowledge it that we're all part of the problem. We are promoting the problem. We're not solving it. By you and I speaking about, oh, things are like this, things are like that. That's not the solution. We are tricking and deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're addressing the problem by talking about it. So that's another tactic. That by addressing it, by speaking about it, we are being made to falsely think that we are protected from it. Why? Because I'm at least speaking about it. No, you're not. You're just speaking about it, but are you doing anything productive for your own family, for your own self? And if the answer is no, I have not made any change, I haven't pulled my children from any, from any program, and I haven't included them in any program, then how can we say that we are, in, we are solving the problem? My beloved brothers, it's, it, 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 this is a tangent, but subhanAllah, it hurts me, it worries me, it scares me of how many fathers I speak to, mostly born overseas, who will talk to me and say, Have you seen this text? Have you seen this video? Problems or solutions are, you know, everything's going crazy. And subhanAllah, you see their own children, not one, not two, not three, all of their kids are in the exact same problems that the father is speaking about. And it's, it is shocks me like, what are you doing? Are you blind to what you just gave me the speech? But look at what's happening in your own home. Every single thing, you haven't pulled your son out of any college, you haven't pulled out your daughter out of any school, you haven't put your son or daughter in any Islamic program, you don't bring them with you to the masjid. And here you go speaking about all these issues. Why? Like how are you not seeing this happening in your own home? This is like, it tears me apart seeing this. Dad's on one side, mom's mashallah, speaking about big things. But the children are completely off track. And no one seems to be worried about that. We as an imam for moms, for example, we cannot, we, have, we do not have the bandwidth to take care of every family. We have to worry about our own family first. And then the ummah's families. But we cannot take care of every child out there. You as moms and dads sitting here listening to me, at least take care of your own four. Take care of your own two. Take care of your own six. 
however many kids you have, and then work on your nephews and nieces. So whatever we are speaking about, start applying it at home. Whatever WhatsApp video you're posting and reposting, this, is, uh, this agenda, this propaganda, how about you, we start looking at Chayyip, how successful has this propaganda been in my own home? I don't think we have time for that. We're not looking at our own home. We don't realize how quickly our own children are changing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you and I the foresight, the basira, the insight to these issues and allow us to not simply just sit and talk, but rather take the necessary actions to protect our generations. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. The next third story that we're covering in the, is the story of, of, of Musa in Khadr. An amazing, outstanding, beautiful story filled with um, lessons of all sorts. And I pray to Allah that He's able to allow me to share, inshallah, in the next few lessons and the few durus, um, all, that, all that will be a benefit to all of us, inshallah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإذ قال موسى لفتاه لا أبرح حتى أبلغ مجمع البحرين أو أمضي حقوبا Now behold Moses Musa Moses said to his young attendant I will not quit my quest for knowledge until I reach the confluence of two seas or I shall go on for ages فَلَمَّا بَلَغَا مَجْمَعَ بَيْنِهِمَا نَسِيَا حُوتَهُمَا فَاتَّخَذَ سَبِيلَهُ فِي الْبَحْرِ سَرَبًا Can you see? That's fine. So when they reached, so when they reached the confluence between them, there they rested and forgot their fish that they brought for sustenance, which then made its way into the sea, slipping away wondrously. We'll just go through the translation first. فَلَمَّا جَاوَزَا قَالَ لِفَتَاهُ آتِنَا غَدَاءَنَا لَقَدْ لَقِينَا مِنْ سَفَرِنَا هَذَا نَصَبًا So after they had proceeded and left it behind, meaning left the fish behind, he said to his young attendant, Musa said to his young attendant, bring us our midday meal, bring us our food. Very truly we have encountered great weariness in this journey of ours. We're very tired. قَالَ أَرَأَيْتَ إِذْ أَوَيْنَا إِلَى الصَّخْرَةِ فَإِنِّي نَسِيتُ الْحُوتِ وَمَا أَنْسَانِيهُ إِلَّا الشَّيْطَانُ أَنْ أَذْكُرَهُ وَاتَّخَذَ سَبِيلَهُ فِي الْبَحْرِ عَجَبًا He said to Moses, his nephew, Yusha, Do you remember when we betook ourselves to the rock to rest? Indeed, I forgot the fish there. And none but shaitan has caused me to forget it. And to forget that I should mention it to you as well. I forgot that the fish came out. And I forgot to tell you afterwards that that's where the fish came out. For it had made its way into the sea so wondrously. Musa said, This is the sign that we have been seeking. So they turned back, retracing their footsteps on the rock. Footsteps to the rock. They went back, looking for that rock. 
فوجد عبدا من عبادنا آتيناه رحمة من عندنا وعلمناه من لدنا علما and then there they found a distinguished servant from among our servants so Musa and his nephew his, his servant both of them found one of our distinguished servants what, what did he have? آتيناه رحمة we had granted him mercy from our providence and we had taught him much knowledge from our own. This is called ilmul ladunni, knowledge from Allah without means. قَالَ لَهُ مُوسَى هَلْ أَتَّبِعُكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُعَلِّمَنِ مِمَّا عُلِّمْتَ رُشْدًا Musa salam told him, May I follow you on the condition that you teach me whatever right guidance you have been taught by Allah? Will you allow me to be in your company? Will you allow me to be with you? And you teach me what Allah has shown you? قَالَ إِنَّكَ لَن تَسْتَطِيعَ مَعِيَ صَبْرًا This servant of Allah, he said, Indeed, you can never be patient enough to bear with me. I know you. <laughs> you will not be, be able to be patient and follow the rules that I have established of this relationship of teacher and student. وَكَيْفَ تَصْبِرُ عَلَى مَا لَمْ تُحِطْ بِهِ And now let me give you the explanation why you can't be patient. It's not like you have got a weakness in you. For how can you be patient with an experience you do not comprehend? The reason not that you're trying to be disobedient, but it's just something that is not what you are accustomed to. You're not going to be able to understand what I'm doing. Musa said, You shall find me if Allah so wills patient. Nor will I disobey any command of yours. I promise you, I'm going to try to follow the rules. Allah's servant said, Then if you would follow me, then this is the rules that I have established of this engagement. That do not question me about anything I do until I first make mention of the reason it, of it to you. Let me explain to you whenever I choose to explain to you why I'm doing what I'm doing. But you have no right to jump the gun and ask, why did you do that? So they both proceeded. And at last, when they embarked a ship, he scuttled it. He tore it. He tore a uh, you know, plank off of it, the ship. Musa said, Have you scuttled it to drown its people? Very truly, you have done a grievous thing. He said to Musa, Did I not say that indeed you can never be patient enough to bear with me? قَالَ لَا تُؤَاخِذْنِي بِمَا نَسِيتُ وَلَا تُرْهِقْنِي مِنْ أَمْرِي عُسْرًا Musa said, Do not hold me accountable for what I have forgotten. This was a genuine forgetfulness, a mistake I made out of forgetfulness. Nor, nor burden me with further difficulty in my endeavor to learn from you. Please don't make it harder than it already is. I'm making sabr. Don't make it harder for me. So we'll, we'll see how much we cover. Let's stop, let's stop till here and then. Inshallah, if we cover all these verses, we'll continue. So, this is where uh, the story begins. 
of Musa and Khadr. Let's go over the, um, the, the, the general explanation of the story. It is mentioned, uh, you already went over the translation. Um, so let's go over uh, one hadith. Yeah, the details of this hadith are mentioned both by both Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Hadith related by Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu. He says, once Musa والسلام, rose to address his people, Bani Israel. From amongst those who were present, someone asked, O Musa, who is the most knowledgeable of people? Who is the most knowledgeable of people? The response Musa gave, Ana, I am. Because he was a Nabi, and he was the Kalimullah, he spoke to Allah directly, he received the Torah, he's one of the Ulul Azam prophets, the five highest prophets from amongst the rest of, so you have the Anbiya, then you have the 313 Rusul. At the 124,000 Anbiya, then you got the 313 messengers or Rusul, specifically sent with books. And then from those 313, you have five at the very top. And uh, Musa, Isa, Ibrahim, Adam, and Rasulullah. These are, you know, from amongst them. So uh, he said, the tr- you know, what he understood to be the truth that I am the most knowledgeable. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal, He did not like this answer. Although from Musa Islam's perspective, this is true. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have preferred that He answered something like, Allah knows best who is the most knowledgeable. Even if it becomes quite apparent that He is the most knowledgeable, but not to attribute that knowledge to Himself. Okay? Now, when you have, when you have someone close to Allah like a prophet, even the slightest mistake becomes a grave error. There's a saying, Hasanatul Abrar, what's this? Sayyatul Muqarrabin. Which means, the good deeds of the pious, the good deeds of the pious, are regarded as sins of those who are most close to Allah. So someone who is pious, mashallah, he has a habit of performing Two rakah or four rakah after hajjud. He wakes up an hour and a half before fajr and he prays four rakats in 20 minutes. He's a pious person. He stays away from haram, does his fard. Great. He prays how much? Four rakah in 20 minutes after hajjud salah. He's a pious person. Abrar. Hasanat. Good. However, someone who is muqarrab. Muqarrab means someone who's been brought close to Allah. Like a, like a nabi. If you were to do that, that's regarded as what? A sin. How dare you just pray four rakah? And how only in 20 minutes? You have to be awake a third or half of the night. You see what I mean? So by itself is good, very good. But the fact that someone who is a high achiever or someone who's been brought close to Allah, him doing something like this is not acceptable. It, you, we have much higher expectations from you. So now, the, what I'm trying to say, this is the general rule. So the closer you are to Allah, even the smallest of mistakes get you in big trouble. So he made a mistake like this. Allah subhanahu wa did not like that and he had to correct him. That's for one, this is one reason I explained to you why prophets get corrected because they're very close. What's, this, what's another reason prophets have to get corrected? Immediately. Because? Because they're an example for others. They're an example for others. So if they're not corrected, then you're sending a wrong message to others. That's why a Nabi must be corrected immediately if you made a mistake. You don't want any others to 
follow in those footsteps. So he's been alerted that you made a mistake. Okay, Allah, what's a, what's a, how, how am I supposed to remedy the situation? No, you, there's actually someone who knows something that you don't know. I accept it. Look at immediately the humbleness of Musa. I accept it, no problem. There's someone who knows something I don't know? Sure, no problem. I, will, I acknowledge that. Now what? I want you to go learn from him. Right? So he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Let me, allow me to go learn. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, Go to the meeting point of two seas. <laughs> that is the precise GPS location where two seas meet. Pretty obscure actually. Go, go find it. This is a, called a knowledge hunt. They have an egg hunt, huh? Yeah? This is what? Knowledge hunt. Scholar hunt. Go search. I'm not going to give you all the answers. Uh, that's how some of the teachers teach. Mufti Taha Karan, rahimahumullah from Cape Town, who passed away, one of the great scholars of this era, who passed away a few months ago. His student, one of his top students, is our teacher here at Darussalam, Mura Abdurrahman Yaqub, head of the research department, and uh, head of the library, amongst many other things, mashallah, he does here. So he was saying that whenever we would ask him a question, Mufti Tahid class, he would say, mashallah, that's a really good question. You know what? Why don't you find the answer for me? Go to the library, look for the answer, and let me know by tomorrow. <laughs> you know? So that's how he would teach them. Is that if you ask, then you're, you're going to be asked to go find the answer. Sometimes this is the best way to to learn. Uh, is because by the time you find the answer, you have to look, spend seriously. You know, brothers you, and sisters who don't have experience in this, this is what some of the teachers would tell us. Go jawbai in some in the madrasa here. We're blessed that this is sometimes many times the assignment is given, and. Um, uh, I remember one question. I had all sorts of questions when I was studying too. All of us have weird, you know, questions that are, you don't know where to start. Can you say, um, Hazrat for Allah? Right? Or, you know, I, all sorts of, like, where do you even start with looking for this? <laughs> right? So there was a lot of other iftas, questions that would come to us in madrasa. Our training was such that the teacher himself would give us the questions. Not from the public. The teacher, many Darul Iftas have it like that. The Ustad, he has pre-prepared questions, like 70, 80 questions that you have to answer before you start answering the public's questions. So now, sometimes they're just so obscure and weird, you have no idea where you... If you say, does this invalidate Salah? You know pretty quickly where to go check up this stuff up. Right? Does this invalidate fast? How do you calculate Zakat? How do you calculate a certain inheritance issue? So they're very straightforward questions. But then you have these... Left field questions, you don't even know where to start looking for them. Is it a book of tafsir, a book of hadith, a book of you know, interpretation of dreams? Where do we start? But what the benefit of these type of questions is, as you're looking for this answer, you go through seriously 30 to 40, minimum, minimum, minimum 30 to 40 books you're going to have to actually open up. And how many shelves? You're talking about maybe 60, 70, 80 shelves. So in the process of that, what happens? You actually end up going through so many books you would have never otherwise picked up and looked through. You go through so many table of contents, so many authors' works, so this is a great way of teaching students is when you actually throw them in the deep end and say, go search for the answer. And then after three days, sometimes you come back and say, Ustad, three days spending 12 hours looking in the library. They were real situations like this. We say, I have no idea. Please, can you give me some, a tip or something like that? You know? And then this, this is reminding me of the egg hunt, I'm saying. SubhanAllah, the ilm hunt. That when you go and you have to search for stuff. But it's not just a wasted, wasted uh, three days or 12 hours. It's very beneficial because through the process of that, you're picking up so many different books. So Allah Azza wa told him to go just find it with the place where the seas meet and go find a servant of mine. Um, and he said, there's a sign. The sign is that 
a fish that you have in your basket will disappear. A fish in your basket will disappear. So he told Musa salam, put a fish in his basket and he sent out, he set out with his attendant Yushab Noon. When they were traveling, they decided to take a rest somewhere on, by a rock and they fell asleep. Musa was sleeping, Yusha was awake. All of a sudden the fish started to move and left the basket and went into the sea. It was a miracle, right? How this fish came to life and went into the sea. Uh, you, when, he, when Yusha woke up, he simply forgot to share the story. And they kept on traveling. For how much? Another 24 hours. One whole day and one other whole night. Then next day, Musa asked for some food. And when they open up the basket, they realize there's no food. And so, what happened to the food? Then he realized that food had, had disappeared the day before. So at that time, Musa said, Okay, I am so tired. Let's start walking back. They walked back all the way to the rock and there was a man sleeping there or lying down with a sheet over him. So Musa salam initiated the conversation by saying, Assalamu alaikum. So the person with under the shawl said, Where do I hear? How come I'm hearing salam in this land of wilderness and uninhabited place? Who is there saying salam? Where am I hearing salam from? So then Musa said, It's me, it's I, Musa. Who, is, who came here to meet you. He said, which Musa? Musa Bani Israel? He said, yes, Musa Bani Israel. Okay, what do you want? I have come with this request of spending some time with you in your company so that I may learn from that which Allah has taught you. And that's where he says that you won't be able to actually, sorry, I cannot accept you. You applied, but I'm going to have to reject your, in, your application form. Why, bye? Why? Because... You are accustomed to a certain set of things and I'm going to be teaching a different set of things here. So it's not going to work. And you're going to keep on thinking what I'm doing is wrong because based on your knowledge, everything I'm doing is going to be contrary to what you have been taught. But he says, no, please, let me be, let me, I'll try my best not to speak up. The first time he saw the, the, the plank being broken and t- taken out of the ship, that was what happened. They went to, he said, okay, you want to come? Let's travel. We're going to have, this is a traveling madrasa. Traveling madrasa, let's go. So he walked. SubhanAllah. So as he was walking, they came to the sea or to the river. And the person who was sitting on the boat, he recognized Khadr. He said, oh, come here, come here, Shaykh, come. You need a ride across the, across the, across the river? He said, yes. He agreed upon him something. He said, no, I'll take care of it for free, whatever. Just, just jump, jump, come on through. When he sat there, as they're traveling, Musa Salam quickly takes an axe. No one look in there. <laughs> he breaks a plank. Water's coming in, damage the boat. Musa's watching, like, what is this? These people give us a free ride, and you just broke a plank? This is something unacceptable. Ya, ya Nabi Khadr, what are you doing? Did I not tell you you're not going to be patient? Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know I shouldn't have. And, but I did. Okay. Um, I, I, inshallah, do not keep on making me, don't keep on, don't rub it in and don't take me to task for something I genuinely forgot about. Please. It's been a long journey, man. Don't blame me for being tired. It's been so long. And I'm coming here and now you put these rules and now I'm forgetting. So don't make it harder for me than it already is. Please make, you know, accept, accept my talab and desire that I have. He says, okay, we'll go on. And then they move on to the, a child. They, they're moving on, traveling around, they see a child there. And Musa Salaam, call, Khadr calls a child. 
And he kills a kid, decapitates him, kills him. Now that's too much now. Removing a plank with the axe is, is nothing compared to this. How dare you kill an innocent soul? And he was mad. He told Khadir, what is this? This is completely unacceptable, horrible what you've done. Khadir simply looks at him and said, what did I just tell you? I told you don't ask until I tell you things. There you go again. It's not his fault. According to the, what he knows, the Sharia, this is completely haram. Can't do things like this. So then he realizes this is actually above his level of tolerance. So Musa Islam tells him, I'm sorry. Okay, you know what? If I slip over one, slip one more time, you have a right to expel me from your madrasa. I'm out. So then they went to a village, traveling through a village. When they got to a village, they asked the people of the village that, hey, based on our normal customs, uh, would you be willing to please host us? Because we're outside travelers. And travelers are to be hosted by the local people. Invite, you invite them to the home, give them food to eat, and um, you know, a place to sleep. This is normal etiquette. Instead, they said, there's a hotel, there's a restaurant. <laughs> we're not hosting you in our home. We're not giving you any food. So they, that was not according to the customs of that time. What happened? Khadir um, uh, didn't, didn't get, did not get upset. Khadir did not get upset. And he said, okay, we'll move on. As they moved on, they came across a wall that was falling over. Khadir told Musa, Chalo Aja, let's get to work. He said, what do you need me to do? He said, we're going to fix this wall. What? We have he said, no, we're going to fix this wall. Okay, maybe this plan, this is a way we're going to manually do some labor and get some money. So him and Khadir, Musa together, they built, rebuilt this wall that was falling over. After that, they're done. Musa, Khadir said, let's get moving. He said, what about our food? What about, what about money, man? We worked. He said, no money, no food. We go, we're moving. He said, you're not going to charge them anything? He said, no, we're not going to charge them. It's for free. He said, okay. At least you should have charged them. We didn't give us food. At least we could charge them with the money, we could buy food. Oh, so you're criticizing and asking again why I did what? All right, khalas. This is the nail in the coffin. Last nail in the coffin. We're done. Had the firaq obeyni This is now a time of separation between you and I. So, nabiyuka bitawili, I am going to inform you now the interpretation about those things that you are not patient enough to wait to hear. So now that I'm leaving, I'll explain to you. The three, Khadir mentioned all the three incidents, why he did what. After narrating all of that, the Prophet ﷺ said, I wish Musa ﷺ could have remained more patient. I wish Musa ﷺ could have remained more patient so that we would have come to know more about the two of them. I'm interested. And in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is saying, I'm interested to know more. This is like, so if any of you are wondering, how interesting is this story? Just listen to this. Rasulullah sallam was hoping that this story could have continued more. So that he, the most knowledgeable of all human beings, the most knowledgeable after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I want to know more about this because this is not something that he's aware of either. You understand? Nabi Sallallahu has immense knowledge, but all the knowledge of Allah is obviously not given to him. Selected things from, from Allah's knowledge is shared with him. He's not Alimul Ghaib, he doesn't know the entire unseen. So, this is where the story, you know, comes to an end. Now, let's more focus on the specific 
aspects of, this, of, this, of these verses. One thing I would like to share here is that there are two types of knowledge. One is called ilmu al-zahir or ilmu al-haqiqah. And one is called ilmu al-batin or ilmu I'm sorry, one is called ilmu al-haqiqah and ilmu al-batin. And the other one is called ilmu al-shari'a or ilmu al-zahir. One is the external aspects of the deen, one is the internal aspects of the world. One is the external aspects of the world, one is the internal aspects of the world. One is the external aspects of following dictates of sharia, and one is the inner workings, the hidden inner workings that happen behind the scenes, what we call. That's another whole knowledge. Another name for that is ilmu takween. Ilmu takween, or ilmu al-haqiqah. Yani fulfilling the manifest, manifestation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will. Or what, you know, qada and qadr comes in here. Predestiny. When, where, how, everything's preordained. Why it's happening. The wisdom behind Allah's actions. Okay? That is a different knowledge. And ilm al-shari'a is what's halal, what's haram, what's allowed, what's mustahab, what's mabah, what's makruh. All of those things. So our actions, they need to follow the sharia. They need to follow the rules laid out by, the, by Allah, shown to us by the prophets. And with regards to why Allah does what He does, that's not part of the sharia. If someone says, why is dhuhr two a four? And why is dhuhr prayed with, with, uh, in, with a soft tone? Uh, and why is Maghrib three? Why is it prayed out loud? That's not part of Sharia to give you answers for that. Sharia will tell you you have to do this. The giving the wisdom behind these things, secrets, that's not the realm of Sharia. Do as you're told. This is what it is. It's proven from Quran and Sunnah. You got to do this, 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 this. So that knowledge is something that the prophets usually usually don't share with us, and they don't deal with it. They deal with the external aspects. The Sharia parts. Now, Musa alayhi salatu salam was a extremely knowledgeable and amongst the forefront of the prophets who had knowledge of the Sharia. And on the other end, other side of the fence is Nabi is Khadir, who, according to many scholars of Tafsir, was a prophet as well. Some are of the opinion that he was what? An angel. An angel. So, um, he, what was his dealing with if he was a prophet? Why do we have to see he has to be a prophet and not just a friend and a wali of Allah? Why? Because what he does is against the sharia. Breaking someone's boat, killing someone. At least these two incidents are completely not allowed in the Sharia, but he's doing it. And he says, I don't do this out of my own will. This is under the command of Allah I'm doing. So no wali and no pious person can come and claim to be doing things against the Sharia and say, Oh, don't worry about it. I have the orders of Allah. I don't have to pray. Y'all gotta pray. But me, I've already reached the level where I don't have to pray. There are books that claim, there are stories and stuff like that, even this is not fake stuff, these are real things. There are people out there, astaghfirullah al-azim, today as well, in this day and age, who claim such things. Fake shaykhs, 
you know? This is like the shake and bake shake. So uh, those type of sheikhs uh, who claim that they have some special type of knowledge that you all don't know about it. That's not in the books because of which they don't, they don't need to read Quran. They don't need to pray Salah. They don't need to do dhikr. They don't have to make hijab from your wife. Yeah. This is real stuff that happens overseas and maybe here too. All kinds of things. I remember when I was in Pakistan studying, they were, I came across you know, people who shared weird incidents and stories of, of the, what they dealt with in the villages and things like that. And they're telling me one village, this, this fake sheikh would come every year and he would gather all the villagers and every year he'd make the rounds. And he would say, Chala, bring your knives. And they would bring the knives and he would read on it something. And he would charge them 500 rupees for annual fees. He said, now this knife is halal. Anything you cut with it will be halal. Because the poor villagers, wallahi, they're so jahil and ignorant, they don't know how to make dhabiha. They don't know how to slaughter properly. And they would never, they won't, he doesn't teach them that. He says, this I'll take care by, give you, you give me the annual fee, and I'll read some stuff on the knife, and then it's legit for, you, you know, you have license till the next year. But, I, but then you got to pay your annual dues. Otherwise, you lose your halal license. Your, your knife won't work anymore. It won't be halal anymore. And they'll come. You have others who say, oh, you don't have children? Okay, no problem, come to me. But now they say they have to put their hand on the womb of the, of the lady and in seclusion. This is true. This is seriously, I'm not making these things up. This is really happens till today. And you know, these innocent people who have no knowledge and jahil, but what is it? They are in need of XYZ. They cave into all these type of things. So anyone who says they don't have to make hijab from your, from your women, anyone who says, oh, you're allowed, I'm allowed to sit separately with your women in a, in a room, it's okay because I'm your shaykh or I am, I'm some scholar. Anyone who says, a'udhu billahi minash shaytan rajim that you wear the niqab and wear the hijab and the veil outside, but I'm like your father because I'm your shaykh. You can remove the veil in front of me. All is bogus, right? This is all bogus. So we, why are we, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, fake people out there. But why do we become foolish? And why do we become so ignorant with the ignorant people? We have to have some brains. Allah gave us aql, Allah gave us the deen. So it's not just one person's fault. He is gonna face, he or she who is misusing his status and, and intentionally misleading people, he'll face Allah for that. But our own community and ourselves, we have to become knowledgeable about the deen. We have to know what's acceptable and what's not. And we should know this basic thing. The sharia cannot be bent for some shaykh. It can never happen. The, 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 we have to bend ourselves to the Sharia, not Sharia doesn't bend for us, by us, right? So anyone who claims to be above and beyond the divine law, you know for sure that that person you need to stay away far from, stay away from them. So that's why there's no, there's no such thing as a wali who's, who says, oh, I got knowledge and I'm doing something to check in Sharia. So that's why Khadr cannot be what? A wali. He cannot be a friend of Allah only. He has to be higher than that. What's higher than that? A prophet who receives revelation or an angel, of course, like Malakul Maut and Jibreel and the rest of them, all of them, they're all working under the command of Allah. We don't know what the command Allah, Allah says, kill this one, kill this one, kill. Allah, Malakul Maut does it, right? He comes and takes out the soul, takes out the soul of these people. So they're working directly, they take orders from Allah directly. We're not aware of how they work. So, Khadr, as we know now, is a very knowledgeable person. So, Musa salam now had to. Acknowledge that in this field, there's someone more. There is, I'm not knowledgeable in everything. 
And my beloved brothers and sisters, imagine how much humbleness and humility you and I need to have in our own fields. He is a Nabi, he's being held accountable for saying he's the most knowledgeable. And whatever, if you are best in your IT field, in your cybersecurity field, in your medicine field, in your you know, engineering field, still, no matter who you are, or you're best in fiqh field, in Arabic field, we must always show humility and humbleness and never claim that we are the most knowledgeable. Allah says in the Quran, Surah Yusuf, that if you, oh, above every knowledgeable person is, another, uh, is someone who has more knowledge. And there's always at the top is of course Allah Azza wa Jalla So this story, this Musa and Khadr story, is the reality of the meeting of external and internal knowledge. The meeting of a prophet of Sharia and a prophet of the Haqiqah. Prophet of Ilmul Zahir, prophet of Ilmul Batin. That's what's so unique about this incident here. Is you have a meeting of two titans, two powerful individuals from two different dimensions. They're crossing paths, which we usually don't see. And the, if you want to know the secret of, or the khulasa and the nutshell of this story, is verse of Surah Al-Baqarah. It is very likely that you may dislike something while it is beneficial for you. And it is also likely that you may like something while it is evil and harmful for you. Indeed, Allah knows while you do not know. What is that? That's a secret of predestiny. That's a secret of the wisdom of what's going on in your life. You don't know why what's happening in your life. And you are judging based on appearances. You are judging based on what meets the eye. But you can't do that. Because not everything meets your eye. There's a whole bunch of things that are happening behind the scenes based on the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, based on the knowledge of Allah that you and I are unaware of. My beloved brothers, there's so much to be learned from this story. That a Nabi as Musa, he doesn't know the answer. This is, I think, a very powerful part that I take lesson from, and I'm sharing this with you. Nabi Musa, is, he's so unaware and oblivious about what's going on, that he ends up getting removed from this madrasa, because he keeps on asking questions, because he really doesn't know. And moreover, the most knowledgeable of all, Muhammad is saying, oh, I wish this story continued. I would have gotten to learn so much. So how do you and I expect to know the wisdom behind what Allah is doing in our life? When we say, Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did this flood come? Why did this innocent one die? Why did a tornado hit over here? Why did the Muslim countries get hit again and again and again and again? Why did the poorest Muslim countries get hit with natural disaster upon natural disaster? Why is this happening? I want to know. No. The prophets didn't know. Who are you to demand answers? Who am I? To have this expectation that I need to know every single thing why it's happening. This is arrogance. This is arrogance to demand answers. The Nabi does not know. The greatest of Anbiya, the greatest of human beings does not know the answers to everything. We need to learn how to submit to the will of Allah quietly. Submit to it. Whatever is happening is happening based on what Allah knows and what Allah wills. 
And the best way forward is for me to blindly submit to His will and say, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ I am pleased with Allah as my Lord. That's whatever He wishes, رَضَى بِالْقَضَى I am pleased with whatever Allah decrees. That type of attitude is pleasing to Allah and He will make sure you will get and you will see the silver lining of what's going, what you're going through. You, if you, and you will definitely see the awjar of that in the qabr and the akhirah if you don't see it in the world. Of rada bil qada. To be content and happy with Allah's decisions in the world. We just don't understand why it's happening. That doesn't mean you stop making dua. No, of course not. You make lots and lots and lots of dua for your situation to improve. But deep down, you should know that whatever Allah wills is happening, and I don't know why this is happening. I don't know. That's why they say, koi na koi isme hikmat hogi. There must be some wisdom. You're right. You're right. When your mom and dad do something at home, you come home and your wife does something, and you start, hey, what is this? We obviously, she's running the house. She knows what she's doing. Why she placed that vase over there, that sofa over there, that adornment over there. There's a reason. It's not just random throwing stuff. If your child did it, your two-year-old did it, okay, you understand. There's no rhyme or reason for that. But an adult has done something. There must be a wisdom before you sit there and, and start attacking everything. Why don't you just ask? We expect that a wife, a husband, a dad, a mom, their actions are going to be based on some sort of wisdom that you as an outsider or you as a child may not understand. My beloved brothers and sisters, how can you expect and think Allah's actions are free of wisdom? How can we ever think that Allah does things out of randomness? haphazardly. That doesn't work. They say, The actions of a wise man are never void of any wisdom. A, a, a wise person will always do something based on some wisdom. You may not understand it, but there is wisdom behind that. So Allah is the most wise. Allah is Al-Hakim. He's definitely, whatever He's doing, there must be some wisdom. Just acknowledge that you don't, you're not aware of that wisdom, what it is. So this is the humility of Musa والسلام, that he is ready to learn and move forward. So Musa والسلام, said, La Abrah, I'm ready to move, but guess what? La Abrah, I will not quit my quest. What does that tell you? La Abrah means, I will not quit. Meaning, if you are out to seek knowledge, you cannot be a quitter. You can't be a quitter. I was waiting. You guys, it took a while, but khair. Chai. Chai is almost is ready, I think so. Okay. Right? I can, you can't be a quitter if you're seeking knowledge. Oh, I went the masjid was closed. Oh, the masjid is 15 minutes away. Oh, the class is offered at different times than when I'm available. I remember one day, many years ago, I gave a talk in Chicago. Then at the end, I mentioned about the one-year program. One kid came up to me. He said, oh, I'm very interested in the one-year program. I said, okay, mashallah. Oh, where is this taught at? I said, Dar Salaam. That time, he was new. Surprised. Where is that at? It's a Lombard. Oh, how far is Lombard away? It's 45 minutes. Oh, that's too far. Okay. Zakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. I was like, what? what? What are you talking about? You serious about that question? This is a joke. Like, what was this about? Maybe a setup. Like, you're going to give up seeking out. People come to me all the time and say, how much does a one-year program cost? And I said, this is an, not an appropriate question. If I tell you it costs 100,000, what are you going to say? Too much? If I say it's free, what are you going to say? Oh, that's good? Knowledge can never be based on money. You can't. Yeah, every other course, every other car, every other material thing, you can put. A, you can ask, oh, it's a $50,000 car? That's too much for me. 20000 Okay, that's better. But knowledge, no. Money, money has nothing to do with this. You cannot say, I'm ready to seek knowledge because it's cheap. 
And you cannot say, oh, knowledge is too expensive, so I'm not going to take it. You see what I'm saying? So this is the answer. When people always ask me, what's the tuition for something? I said, don't worry about it. Why is that even relevant to you? Are you wanting to study? If you're wanting to study, then that's it. That's the most important thing. Talab al-Sadiq. You have to have fir- firm intention to study. If you got that, then no one's going to stop you from studying. Your abs- uh, the, what you call the absence of resources is not going to stop you from studying. You will, inshallah, be able to complete your studies. But the, the issue is the will. Do you have will? Do you have irada? Do you have a fervor, an intention to study? Is that's a question. That's a million dollar question. Don't worry about the tuition. The rest of the stuff will be taken care of. So you have to have a no quitter attitude. I will not quit my quest for knowledge. And my friends, we are nobodies. He is one of the most famous, most knowledgeable of the prophets. And this is his attitude. I will not quit. Okay, where do I got to go to? What does my GPS say? Majma' al-Bahrain. The place where the two seas meet. I don't know where I'm going to find this place. but We're going to go. And guess what? You know what hukub means? You heard that hadith about missing qada, making salah qada. A person will go into hellfire for a hukub, 80 hukub. And hukub is like, you know, thousands of years or, or each hukub is what, 80 years? So hukub means a very long duration of, of time. So Musa is saying, I'm ready to walk for years. When you and I know the... the the benefit of knowledge, my beloved brothers and sisters, those are listening online, those are listening afterwards, those are here. My dear brothers and sisters, if we have the idea and the, the knowledge of the benefit of, uh, benefit of knowledge, we will not look at the sacrifice we have to make for it. And sometimes we stop attending drus uh, of knowledge, whether you are a full-time student in a seminary or you are a part-time student attending a dars of dhikr or tafsir or hadith. For the smallest of reasons, we give up or we skip. Why I got guest over? Or, you know, I'm tired. Or I had this appointment, that appointment. Smallest of reasons, we give up our quest for knowledge. And this is something what we understand why there's no barakah. I spoke about it at the beginning of my talk today. The barakah comes when there is a strong niyyah that I know the value of this. I cannot, cannot. Whatever happens, no sleep. Subhanallah, Safahat bin Sabr al-Ulama, I shared with you that book last time. Chapters from the uh, stories of, of the sacrifices and the patience that the ulama had in seeking knowledge. If you read each, any of those pages of what Sheikh Abdul Fatah al wrote, what level of sacrifice people did, it's unbelievable. And you know, how much traveling uh, they did in order to seek knowledge, how much money they, they, they put everything, everything, everything. They sold everything they had in order to gain knowledge. Because they valued it. And so this is what you, we learn from this story. Eventually when they reach the place of the meeting of these two seas, we don't need to go get into what the varied opinions are. At the end of the day, there's no clear hadith that talks about where these two seas meet. Somewhere, geographically. Some ulama say the meeting of two seas allegorically refers to the meeting of two seas of knowledge. The knowledge of Vahir, the knowledge of batin, the knowledge of haqiqah, and the knowledge of sharia. Haqiqah is the inner workings. Got it? This is the meeting of the two seas, is the two giants of knowledge meeting together. When they reached there, they both forgot their fish. Now, this fish was either the same fish they had brought to eat as, as lunch and dinner and breakfast, or it was a separate fish that they brought just as a token for figuring out where they need to stop. 
Some scholars say that they had actually grilled this fish and had eaten one side of it. And it was in their basket when Musa was sleeping. This fish came back to life and it jumped out of the basket and went into the sea. Saraba, he's translated here, uh, you know, wondrously, which made a way into sea, slipping, slipping away, slipping away. Some ulama have explained Saraba, or many tafsirs explain Sarab is referring to a tunnel. Tunnel, like you dig underground a tunnel. So Allah made the water to become still. Waves stopped. And a tunnel-like funnel was created within the sea. And the fish went right into that funnel. And, you know, he literally sees his lunch walking away into the sea. Now, the question is, how do you forget something like this? How can you forget this? So a couple explanations I've given. One explanation is, Musa was, so, was a man of such miracles that Yusha bin Nun, who was his maternal nephew, maternal nephew, was just accustomed to things like this. Some have said that he was the great-grandson of um, Yusuf salam. So he was just accustomed to seeing miracles. Oh, oh, oh there's another miracle. And he, how many are you going to remember? So he just forgot to mention it. But the Quran says the answer, what he gave. The answer that he gave. We'll get to that. He said when they, when they went beyond the meeting point, and a day and a night had passed, like what Tafsir mentions, he said, bring us our morning meal, or midday meal. And then he says, indeed, we have encountered great weariness. Ulama make an amazing point here based on the hadith and based on the tafsir here, is that he became tired and began to feel the tiredness once he had crossed the meeting place. Meaning, as long as you are journeying and going towards a maqsad and the purpose, you don't feel the tiredness. Then once you start wasting time and doing things that are nothing to do with your purpose, that causes weariness and tiredness. As long as you are making an effort towards a goal, you won't become tired because the goal is in front of you. But as soon as you pass that goal in life, and you're just wasting time, you know what I mean? Like, so if you go to work every day, and you know you're getting this work, you're getting money, bringing money home, then you won't get that tired because you know what's happening. But if instead, if you're just wasting time or doing things in the opposite direction, then that makes you more tired. So as long as a person is the path towards knowledge, my beloved brothers, as soon as we get out of our homes to seek knowledge, and this is what we learned from Nabi Musa's story, by the way, another thing I want to add, is that we need to be willing to travel to seek knowledge. Don't expect, like we have microwave dinners and everything, home delivery, prime home delivery for everything. We should not expect home delivery for ilm. It's just not the same thing. You know what I mean? A fresh cooked meal that you go eat and enjoy, you know, someone hunts an animal and does a fresh live barbecue for you compared to a pre-frozen something that was made with uh, all sorts of chemicals six, eight, nine months ago in a factory and you warm up in a microwave and ate it. How is the same thing? When you go leave your home and to go sit and benefit from a knowledge of a scholar, when, or you go and sit and benefit from an institution, the barakah that you're going to get in that ilm is far supersedes than something you get delivered to your home. This is something we need to understand. One of the um, kings, if I'm not mistaken, the Harun Rashid, one day, he, I, I shared the story here before, he came to uh, the, the alim, one of the great ulama, who he sent his son to go study with. When he went to go see his son studying there, one day he saw that the sheikh is 
uh, doing wudu. And remember, they didn't have taps. They didn't have taps there. You know, they have uh, the lota and the ibriq and the water jug. So the, 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 the son, his, the prince, is pouring water for the sheikh. And what is the sheikh doing? He's washing his hands and washing his feet. But he, at the end of the day, it's the prince, right? So the sheikh got upset and he called a scholar. Now you, all of you sitting here might be thinking, oh, I know how this conversation is going. Imagine if I saw my son pouring water for my, for my tutor, my son's tutor. What would I be telling that tutor? So he says to the sheikh, I'm upset at you. Amir al-Mu'mineen, I'm sorry, what did I do? I saw my son was pouring water for your wudu. Okay? I'm sorry, you know, like, was something wrong? Why did you not make him wash your feet with his hands? Why was he just pouring the water? SubhanAllah. Why did he not wash your feet with his hands? How is he gonna learn ilm if he simply sits there and pours the water over your feet? He is the Amir al-Mu'mineen, right? But he wants his son to become something great. And he knows that to become great, that's what you gotta do. You literally gotta wash the feet. SubhanAllah do we, do we have that attitude in front of knowledge? Or do we have an attitude of arrogance? No, I pay tuition. I pay, you know, uh, $20 an hour. That, that's why no knowledge comes into us. That's why we're so empty vessels. Because of this whole attitude. There's no tawadur and humility in front of knowledge. In front of knowledge, we gotta melt. You gotta say, I'm this big CEO, CFO, whatever. But in front of the knowledge of deen, I'm zero. I am not the CEO, I'm just the O. Remove the C and E. I'm a zero in front of knowledge. And if, I, if you want to become great, and if you want your children to become great, you have to be as humble. So you have Nabi Musa. Nabi Musa, he's walking forever. He's, I'm ready to walk forever, for years. Because I want knowledge. I'm thirsty for this. So we can't wash the feet. We can't, make, we can't travel to a teacher's home. We can't travel to go to a, a, teacher, uh, to a masjid. Say it's too far, 30 minutes too far, 40 minutes too far. We need someone to come to our home. This is what we're speaking about. If we have true, true value for ilm, <coughs> we will do all the traveling. We will do all the sacrifices. And no pain, no gain. The more effort you put into this, the greater is going to be the output and the benefit you will gain. So he says, we've gotten very tired because we've, we have surpassed or we've gone beyond our goal. So then the nephew tells the uncle or the khadim, the attendant, obviously you see how nicely he speaks to him. Imagine if this were happen. 24 hours, you wasted mine, 24 hours of walking, not driving, two, two tanks of gas. No, 24 hours of walking because of you forgot. He didn't scold him, he didn't get upset, so we just got to turn around and start walking. He said, I'm sorry, I forgot this, the, the, the fish where we had taken rest by the rock. Then he said, nothing but Satan caused me to forget it. This is what is nice over here. You learn here is that Musa والسلام, is getting upset. Why did you do this? And he attributed this forgetfulness to shaitan. And you see the same attribution to shaitan in the story of who? Which other Nabi story is the forgetfulness attributed to shaitan? Adam al-Salam, okay. Yusuf al-Salam. Right. So in Yusuf al-Salam's story, he said, Uthkurni inda rabbik. 
he told the person who he helped interpret his dream, he said, please remi- remember me when you go back to the sire and the king. I just told you, one of you is going to become a wine bearer for the king, and the other one of you is going to get killed. And for the one who he thought is going to get saved, he told him, please, I gave you this dream interpretation. You're going to become a wine bearer by the king. Please mention my name and get me out of this prison. Allah says, فَأَنْسَاهُ الشَّيْطَانُ ذِكْرَ رَبِّ Shaitan made him forget. Because it's like, man, this guy saved my life. He gave interpretation. SubhanAllah, I'm actually serving wine to the king. Amazing, right? How could you forget the person who, who told you that? But he, he forgot that. And he forgot to do ihsan. And if I got to be, there's a guy dying there in the dungeon. Let me get him out. How could you forget something like that? But he did. Years went by. He forgot. Yusuf alayhi salam. So Allah says, فَأَنْسَانِهُ shaitan. Shaitan made him forget. Shaitan made him forget. So you see, nisyan and forgetfulness has been attributed to shaitan. What do we understand from this, brothers and sisters? Very important point I want you to highlight here. Is that in the, in, in, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created good and evil in this world. Has He not? But when we speak about evil, we do not attribute it towards Allah. Out of etiquette and adab. You don't say, oh, ya Allah... The creator of the pig and the swine and the, and the dogs and the rats and the mice. You don't say, oh Allah, the creator of Jahannam. Oh Allah, the creator of, of, of calamities. That's not how you address Allah. Although Allah is the creator of all of those things. Instead, we speak, we attribute good things towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of adab, we, attribute, we don't attribute it to Allah. You don't say, Allah made me sin. We never say that. Otherwise, we know that you and I cannot miss our prayer without Allah's permission. Yeah? We can't miss our fast or prayer or commit a sin without Allah allowing it to happen. But you're not supposed to speak and address Allah. You're not supposed to attribute it towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do you got that point? Everyone? Number two, next very important point. Is that what I've learned from my teachers? Is that shaitan is our enemy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made him the reason why, we're gonna, why people got to go to hell. Meaning, he does waswasa to people, and then people fall into kufr. He made, he made, he made Adam salam, slip. Starting off from there, all the way to the last man, he's going to be the last guy to put the lights out. He's going to be alive till the end, right? Isn't he? Shaitan is going to be alive, Iblis is going to be alive till the last man dies. Then the trumpet will be blown, and then he'll die too. And then he'll be raised up again, and then set to hell. So Shaitan has been created as a source of evil. So whatever evil you'll see happening, this is the, uh, just what are you going to call the, um, one of the uh, means of it. Through, through that, through that uh, you'll see a lot of, like, you know, kufr, is shir- kufr and shirk is going to be attributed to shaitan. Um, nisyan is being, whatever all these evil things are there. And there was an incident during the time of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, I mean during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, where shaitan came and he tried to, uh, take from the wealth of sadaqah. And uh, Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu tried to, uh, you know, stop him. And he didn't know who he was. And every single he said, um, he grabbed him. He, hold, he grasped him, held him. He was going to take him to the Prophet sallallahu And he said, no, please, please let me go. I have children, I have this and that. He let him go. And he went in, uh, Abu Hurairah went and informed Rasulullah sallallahu Rasulullah sallallahu said that uh, he's, in a, he's lying, he's going to come back tomorrow. You let him go, he's going to come back tomorrow. And the next day he came again. Tried to steal some of those dates and, and whatever else was there. And Abu Hurairah grabbed him and said, I'm taking the Prophet And he said, no, please, please let me go. I'm a poor person. I have this, this, this. 
He went in and informed Rasulullah Sallallahu Then again, Nabi Sallallahu said, he's lying, he's gonna come back tomorrow. Third day he came, and Nabi Sallallahu told him, uh, third day he came, Abu Ridhlan said, I'm not letting go this time. I'm not letting you go. He, he tied him. If I'm not mistaken, he tied him. He said, okay, please, this time for sure. <laughs> this time third, right? Please, I will not come back and I'll tell you one thing. If you don't want me to come back, I'm going to tell you one thing. He said, what is that? He said, you just read Ayatul Kursi. If you read Ayatul Kursi, you're safe. Nabi Allah, he went, said, okay, what? He went to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, Ya Rasulullah, this is this ajib. Uh, prisoner, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, what happened to the prisoner last night? What did your last night's prisoner say? You tied him up. He said, he said, Ayatul Kursi. Nabi Sallallahu said, he's a liar, but what he said is true. Shaitan is the ultimate liar, but that point, what he, then he, he told Abu Hurairah who he was. Abu Hurairah didn't know at that time. He said, that was Iblis who was coming every day. That was Shaitan coming every day. And uh, he's a liar, but what he told you last night was right. That if you want to protect yourself or anything you own, what should you do? Read what? My beloved brothers, I don't know if, you, if any of you don't know Ayatul Kursi. But please, if you don't, I implore you to make Nia right now. That you memorize it. It's not going to take you much. It's one ayah. One ayah of the Quran. Let's all read it together. Okay? Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyu al-qayyum la ta'khuduhu sinatu wa la nawm lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard man dhalladhi yashfa'u indahu illa bi-idhnih ya'lamu ma bayna aydihim wa ma khalfahum wa la yuhitun bishay'in min ilmihi illa bima sha' wasi'a kursiyuhu samawati wa al-ard wa la ya'uduhu hifzuhuma wa huwa al-aliyu al-azim Nabi Alaihissalam has mentioned that whoever recites this after every fard salah, the only thing between him and paradise is death. After every salah, whoever recites this, the only thing between him and paradise is death. So ensure that every member of our household has memorized this, inshallah. So the point what I was saying is that out of etiquette for Allah, we don't attribute evil towards Allah. And number two, is as at a, at a secondary level, Allah has created shaitan as a means for what? For evil. So you say, oh, I've quenched my thirst by drinking water. But this is just a means. The, the, the one who's behind those means is Allah. So water didn't quench the thirst in reality. It's Allah's command that quenched the thirst. But water has become a means for that. And that's why we always attribute, we ask for water whenever we are thirsty. Similarly, shaitan is like the uh, means for us to suffer. And what's the biggest suffering? Jahannam. Got it? Jahannam is the biggest suffering. There's no greater physical pain you're ever gonna, anyone can endure or anyone's gonna be put, get through. So if, if Jahannam is gonna be coming through, uh, you know, nisbah is we're gonna make attribute to shaitan, then obviously smaller types of pain of this world also, it is not far-fetched to attribute that towards shaitan. So here we understand that وَمَا أَنْسَانِهُ إِلَّا شَيْطَانٌ أَذْكُرَهُ Only shaitan made me forget this uh, fish. And that's why sometimes people get amazed. How did this happen, man? How did I forget this? And now my wife told you three times already, don't forget this. And again you forgot it and it caused a big problem. <laughs> yeah, because shaitan wants a fight to happen between you and your spouse. Right? That's what it is. Uh, forgetfulness and these small, small things. In one, one thing I've... I've you know, seen is that by not attributing, you know, by, by attributing evil towards shaitan, 
what happens? You give legway and room, I'm sorry, you give leeway for someone to kind of correct themselves. If you say, you're evil, you're wrong, you're horrible, how does that person feel like? Where, what's the chance? Really, I'm so bad, I know I messed up, but there's no chance for me to correct myself? Instead, you say, no, you fell to the temptations of nafs and shaitan. You're a great person, but you fall into the temptations of nafs and shaitan. And this is a message to all of us sinners that do not hate yourself. Don't think of yourself to be lowly and disgusting and beyond any repair. No, you're not like that. I'm not like that, you're not like that. Do we sin? Yes, we sin every day. We're very sinful. But understand that shaitan has made our nafs a, 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 a student of his, and they both, shaitan and nafs together, teacher and student, unfortunately, they gang up on us. And that's why we slip and fall. So this is the method when speaking to someone, and you're trying to rectify them, do not point fingers at them and say, you're evil. Because who's going who's gonna to ever want to change once they hear that? Say, forget it, it's, it's, I'm a lost cause. No one is a lost cause. Is shaitan a lost cause? Yes, he is. That's what the Quran says, right? He's gone, finished, he's, he's doomed. So he wants everyone else to make themselves feel that they're lost cause. So when you, you can say Alhamdulillah, the day you decide to free yourself from shaitan and say, A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitan Rajeem. And you say, I have I have I make kufra with shaitan and I, I bring iman in Allah. Billah. I believe in Allah and I absolve myself of kufr, shirk, and all sins. Alhamdulillah. That's the day you're you know you start fresh. And he's telling Musa that indeed in a very wondrous manner the fish went in. Musa said, this is exactly what we are searching. Nabri. Nabri is usually come with a ya. Nabri comes with a ya. For those who know sarf. Right? Notice there's no ya here. What is it? It's kasra. The ya is gone. Khilaf al-qiyas. Not according to the customary way of writing in Arabic. So the ulama say, Mufti al-Haq mentions that this is... This whole incident is all very weird. The fact that he forgot the fish, forgot the fact that he forgot something as obvious as this, that is also not normal, against the norm. And hence the ya, deleting and removing the ya from nabghi is also not against the norm. So they returned back, retracing their footsteps. They found a servant, a distinguished servant. Khadir is someone who has got a lot of knowledge and Musa is going to search from him. But what does Allah call him? Servant. There's no greater status than being a servant of Allah. The greatest status is, be, what is servant? What is servitude? With, when a person understands Allah most properly and then worships Allah most happily. When a, when a person understands Allah most properly and then worships Allah most happily, then he will have the best life. Three things. Right? So it's ibadah, ma'rifah, Complete ma'rifah, ma'rifah kamila, complete knowledge of Allah. Then ibadah, taw'an, worship Allah happily. And this will lead to sa'ada da'ima, happiness forever. That's ibadah for you. And he was an abd. Number two, we've given him rahmah and given him knowledge. Rahmah, of course, he's, he is very blessed servant of ours. But we have taught him knowledge. We have taught him knowledge from our end, from, our, from special knowledge. What type of knowledge is this called? Ilm. Ladunni. What does ladun mean? Ladun means it's coming from Allah. Ladun means from someone. Ladunni Allah kitabs knowledge. Most knowledge, we will get what we call ilm kasbi. That knowledge that you go earn. You go make an effort to get. Which is you open up the books, you sit with the shuyukh, you listen to the darus. And then there's knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires a person. Allah sends down revelation. 
That knowledge you can't find in the books. That's coming directly from Allah. And so, ilma. We, we gave him ilm al-ladunni. Musa mentioned him, you cannot be, Khadr said, uh, okay, we'll just, we'll, we will read this ayah and stop over here, inshallah, 66. Musa said, may, may I follow you that you, uh, in a manner that you can teach me whatever right guidance you have. So, you have to have etiquette when requesting to seek knowledge. Musa could have an attitude to say, you know what? Allah sent me to, for me to study with you, okay? So, tell me what time you're giving me. Allah sent Didn't Allah send him? Allah sent him. That's something. My dad paid the tuition, okay? So when are you going to start teaching? That's the attitude. Musa a.s. could have said that. I'm a Nabi. You heard of me? Musa? You already actually, as soon as I said Musa, you told me, oh, Musa ben Israel. Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty well known. I got the highest followers, right? <laughs> I'm, the, I'm a Nabi. So when are you going to start teaching me? No, he doesn't say. He says, Will you give me permission to, to follow you? Look at the words. Follow you. In order to seek knowledge, a person must follow a teacher. You don't find books is just the means. The actual giver of knowledge is an individual. The chest of the ulama. There was a whole talk that was given in the winter intensive. Mufti Minhaj gave on this topic of... Uh, you know, the books of Allah and then the people of Allah. So you have this, this whole important aspect of deen that you cannot become self-studied. We have this idea of self-studied scholarship. It leads to complete misguidance. Uh, SubhanAllah, one beautiful example I read in a book, that adhan. If you look at adhan, how we give adhan. When you say Allahu Akbar, is it Allaha, Allahu, Allahi? Is it Akbara, Akbaru, Akbaru, Akbar? How is it you're supposed to? You're not going to find the harakah of this in books. How did we learn how to give adhan? Tell me. By listening to others. If you don't go listen, and you don't sit at the feet of a scholar to listen to hadith, or to listen to Quran, you will not know how to recite it. So we can't give adhan from books, because the books, they haraka, fatha dhamma kasra came way later. Who put on it? Someone who heard it from someone put on it, right? So we wouldn't even know how to give adhan. If it wasn't for uh, this oral tradition that we have. And that oral tradition doesn't come out of the books. It comes from the chest of these scholars. That's why here in the, if you ever get a chance, I would recommend you go up to the seminary classroom on the men's side, the top classroom, the first classroom at the top, on the top floor. And when you go there, you open up the classroom and you'll see a beautiful chain of senad, chain of narration from the teachers here back to Rasulullah It was shown here, if you all remember, on the day of the Khatm al-Bukhari. And it's, it's printed and, and in a nice frame it's placed there. People when they come to start take pictures in the tour, I always tell them, bring it when I'm on a tour, I always say, this is the thing, one thing you need to take a picture of. Other things, you know, forget about it. Or you want to, you don't want to, no problem. But this is what is unique about institutions like Darussalam. That the knowledge you're getting, there's a chain that goes back to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that is what is the main thing. Al-Isnadu min al-Deen. The chain of narration is part of the deen. Walawla al-Isnad. And if there was no chain of narration, laqala man sha' man sha' whoever wanted to say whatever they wanted would be able to say it. This is Abdullah ibn Mubarak, his statement. So Musa, he's asking for ittiba. I want to follow you. Many times you will learn so much knowledge, my beloved brothers and sisters, from simple companionship of your teachers, even when traveling or even walking with them. Just while walking, while outside of a classroom, so much is to be learned from their interactions. Students sometimes think that the education ends in the class. No, it doesn't. That's just the beginning. 
Outside of the class, many times some of the most powerful experiences happen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow you and I to remain students of knowledge for the rest of our life. May Allah bless you and I, the, the company of righteous, pious, God-fearing, knowledgeable asatita and teachers who will teach us both the internal knowledge and the external knowledge. The knowledge of the sharia and the knowledge of haqiqah. The knowledge of, the, of external aspects of fiqh and the knowledge of the, the heart and the diseases of the heart and the solutions to those diseases. Amin ya rabbal alameen. Inshallah, continue, continuing to... Um, uh, uh, we'll continue from this uh, ayah 67 there's a lot of beautiful details inshallah we'll be sharing in the next few weeks ta'ala <coughs> and please try to invite family and friends to attend uh, next week on Tuesday um, um, and additionally what else is there Team Fajr is still happening alhamdulillah uh, enjoy great breakfast and great com- company here on Saturday mornings at 6.15 and we request everyone to please stick to the uh, you know, mask, masks when you're here in the masjid, please. Um, that's the least we can be doing before we make other big drastic changes to the policy. Is that when you come here, uh, make sure you're covering yourself up properly. If you're feeling very sick, please avoid the masjid until, you know, you start feeling better. Let's do some dhikr, inshallah. لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 لا إله 
محمد رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم صلی اللہ علیہ محمد 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 صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم وتوب اليه اللهم انت السلام منك السلام ودورت الى الجلال والاكرام اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك انت كما اثنيت على نفسك اللهم يا حي يا قيوم يا احد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا احد ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين اللهم يا حنان يا منان يا بديع السماوات والارض يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد صلاه تنجينا بها من جميع الاحوال والافات وتقديرنا بها جميع الحاجات وتطهرنا بها من جميع السيئات وترفعنا بها عندك على درجات وتبلغنا بها اقصى الغايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياه بعد الممات انك على كل شيء قدير يا حي يا قيوم رب اغفر وارحم وتجاوز عما تعلم انك انت العز الاكرم رب ارحمهما كان بياني صغيرا لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل على الله توكلنا وفوض امري الى الله ان الله بصير بالعباد حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل لا اله الا الله وعليه توكلنا رب العرش العظيم اللهم اشفنا واشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين 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 نسال الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم ان يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين نسال الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم ان يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين نسال الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم ان يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين 
Oh Allah, we ask you to accept this gathering. Accept all those who came in person, those who are listening online, those who will listen afterwards. Oh Allah, accept the sacrifices of all those who've left their home and drove in the cold from far and wide. Ya Allah, make every step of theirs become a means of their forgiveness. Make it a means of them getting closer to you. Make it, of them, of, make it a means of their needs of this world and the next being solved. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us all the mahabba of the Qur'an, love of the Qur'an, deep understanding of the Qur'an, attachment of the Qur'an, allow us all to become amongst those who recite it profusely, who make an effort to understand the language of the Qur'an, to understand the meanings of the Qur'an, O oh Allah, and then enable us to practice on the teachings of it and propagate its teachings, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you to revive our dead hearts with your remembrance, revive our dead hearts with your remembrance, unlock the locks upon our hearts through your remembrance, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to grant us all a, the, through the barakah of Surah Al-Kahf protection from the fitna of Dajjal and from all the fitna leading up to Dajjal. Ya Allah, make it easy for these brothers and sisters to, to make an effort to memorize Surah Al-Kahf, Ya Allah, though for those who haven't memorized it. And O oh Allah, make it easy for all of us to recite it every single day. O oh Allah, enable all of us to recite it every day. O oh Allah, enable us all to recite it every day. And enable us to recite it at least fully once a week, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to grant shifa to all those who are suffering from COVID. O oh Allah, all those brothers and sisters from our students, our staff, our community members, our musallis, our patrons and the general community O oh Allah grant shifa to all those who are suffering from this illness or any other illness, make it a means of their forgiveness, O oh Allah remove the symptoms of it quickly, O oh Allah allow them to grant, be granted shifa and make their, make their sickness a means of them gaining a closeness to you Ya Allah, O oh Allah those who passed away from the ummah grant them special forgiveness and mercy, fill their qabr with nur, O oh Allah reward our teachers our parents and all those who became a means of deen reaching us Ya Allah O oh Allah, O oh Allah, fulfill our needs of this world and the next. Subhanallah, bikrabbil izzati, ya ma'asifuna wa salamun al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen.